0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, back at it again, starting a new chapter. It's been a minute since we were last together. Uh, but we have been in 1 Corinthians for, for most of this year now. And uh, if we remember correctly, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth in order to address the sins that the congregation there was struggling with. And he was reminding them to fulfill the call on their life. All right, so that, that was his purpose in the letter. And we could be reminded of of some of the the sentiments that he's expressing to them in chapter three and verse one, where it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So what Paul points out here is true for us as well. Our struggles with immaturity and immature behavior is the outpouring and the result of a faithless heart. And I think think a lot of us, you know, especially in, in your 20s, Right? In, the, in those early stages of adulthood, I think a lot of us recognize the fact that there are immaturities in our life. And to be honest with you, a lot of 30, 40, 50 year olds probably also need to consider their own immaturities, right? But the truth is, for Christians, there's so many of us that struggle with doing and living in such a way that we know that it contradicts the call upon our life. We know it. We know it. We, we say things. We do things. We act in such a way. We behave in such a way. That our life does not illuminate the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And when we see it, we often despair and we frustrate ourselves. We recognize that so often, we should be living as examples. We should be examples to the world of who Jesus is. But instead, we're prone to self-entitlement, division, and strife. Um, I'm going to use a basketball analogy. You ready? I've been on a roll with these. You guys remember a few weeks ago... I talked about Steph Curry, right? Okay, Someone like Steph Curry back there. So Steph Curry plays for a team called the Golden State Warriors, and over the last decade they've won four titles, which I think in some regards garners the, the title Dynasty, fantastic basketball team, and they won, they won an NBA title just last year. And, um, And so everybody recognizes that they are the competition, they are the standard, they are by far, in my opinion, the best team in the league, and are are set up pretty well to win it again this year. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, though, in practice, uh, TMZ, of all people, released a video of one of their all-stars, Draymond Green, punching another player in the face in practice. Did you guys see this? you know? So that's not a good sign. That's usually not a good sign, right? Um, and so I, I, I couldn't help but think in terms of our sermon today and what, we're, what, what First Corinthians has been expressing is that when this team should have been hitting the most mature and successful part of their years, they're still tempted towards selfishness and division, like even the best of the best, And sometimes what seems so perfect and refined on the outside is actually corrupt on the inside. And the thing about what's on the inside is that it always makes itself public. TMZ always finds it out, doesn't it? Doesn't TMZ just always find out what's behind the surface, what's behind the veil? Always does. And that's true in your life too. Whatever's on the inside, whatever immaturities lie within your heart, whatever whatever faithlessness you're dealing with, in time, the pressures of life are going to expose that immaturity so that everyone can see it. There is no hiding. There's no hiding in our faith. As Christians, we find ourselves acting selfish and petty because we've lost sight of our higher calling and we've, we've forgotten, ultimately, we've forgotten how glorious God really is. So today we're going to be analyzing Paul's warning to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to ask ourselves the following question. We should have a PowerPoint unless things are broken. Oh, there it is. Okay, so the next slide should have our, we must have a new slide guy back there. Welcome to the team, whoever's back. Okay, there we go. Okay, here's the the question that we have on the floor for us today. And it's, it's this, has selfishness made me vulnerable to sin? Has selfishness made me vulnerable to sin? This is a question that we all have to answer. Let's pray and, and then we'll start uncovering uh, what the word of God has to say about this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we're so grateful for that time of worship. Uh, Lord, in, in many ways, uh, what we sang about should have a, just exposed all of the weaknesses that we're going to be talking about in the sermon. I mean, we, we really do, we truly need you. We need to be before you. We need to acknowledge who you are, that this, all of this life finds its source in you, that our faithlessness is, is, is oh so common that we're prone to wander unless you walk with us. And so God walk with us and when our heart seems to be slipping away and we seem to find ourselves faking and acting in a way that is woe is me and, and proud and selfish at its core, Lord, would you, would you speak into our ear and would you draw our hearts back to you and, and bring us back in alignment with your word because, because we need you, God. We need you because if we don't take heed to your words, there is no other result but corruption and sin. That, that's how we're bent. We are bent that direction, and, and without the straight and narrow path and without taking heed to who you are, we will find ourselves acting in all the ways that we know, we know better of. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, speak to us today and help us to, to find our correction in the heartbeat of Jesus Christ in your word. We love you, and we ask for a blessing on this time In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Let's begin reading in verse one of chapter 10. It says, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ." But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as, some, as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents, neither, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Let's begin by breaking down just the, the, the introduction here in verse one, where it says, moreover, brethren, and moreover is an adverb used to qualify a preceding thought, so when you, when you see words in scripture like moreover or therefore or furthermore, then you know that the words and thoughts that follow that are connected to pre- previous words and thoughts. The thoughts that proceed are connected to the preceding thoughts. All, all the international students are like, hey, what did he just say? <laughs> okay, the ideas that are going to move forward from this point on in, in, in chapter 10 are connected to the thoughts Of chapter 9. Now here's the deal, I'm not going to re-preach chapter 9, because we already did that, and we'll be here for like seven years if I do that kind of business. But by way of summary, this portion of scripture is a continuation of Paul's thoughts on Christian liberty. Christian liberty. And in chapter 9, Paul has just finished explaining how Christian liberty works itself out in his life. He uses himself as an example of what it means to be liberated in Christ. And I think a lot of us think of liberty in terms of our freedom to do whatever we want to do. That's how we often think about liberty as Americans in the 21st century. We think of ourselves as being liberated to do the things that we, we desire and want to do, to, to carve out our own path and to make our own way. We think of individualism. But what Paul points out here in chapter 9, that liberty in Christ to him means bondage to Christ. And how despite the fact that Christ has set him free from, from the bondage of men and the judgment of people and the, and, the, and the sins of this world and the thoughts and the pressures of this world, and despite the fact that his conscience is clear before God, he still chooses, he still chooses to be selfless for the sake of souls because he knows ultimately that God himself is concerned with souls that God himself sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to die for souls. Because he knows that from the very beginning, from the garden itself, God's concern has been souls. And so, so Paul has decided to be selfless and to put his desires and his wants aside so that he might live a life that follows in order and in and, and, and the heartbeat and the rhythm of God's heart and desires. That's what real liberty is. It's to live for the sake of the gospel. And for that purpose, Paul is willing to prefer other people over himself. Why? Because the primary objective in our Christian lives are not to have things our way. No, our objective is to win souls and and to teach them the ways of Jesus. And so when Paul writes, moreover, he is connecting us to this broader conversation of what it means to sacrifice self for the sake of souls. It is from here that Paul leads us to the book of Exodus and provides us with an important warning, a warning that the opposite of selflessness is selfishness. So if we, listen, it's a binary is the point is that you, you essentially have two, two options in your Christian life. And that is either to choose selflessness and follow the way of the mission or to choose selfishness and to find yourself living in sin and ultimately destruction. That's it. And if you want to besmirch the name of Christ, if you want to drag his name through the mud, you have the right to do that, Christian. You, you can do that. Despite all that God's done for you, you can do that. That is a choice. But listen to me. It is a binary. You don't get to take the middle road. You don't get to do the Christian thing sometimes and do the you thing other times. It is one or the other. You either choose selflessness and become become a a disciple of Jesus Christ or you choose selfishness. That middle way is just just compromise. So Exodus provides us with an important warning and we're gonna look at that. He's going to use Israel as an example of the connection between our personal faith and our behaviors, our inner man and our outward actions. So let's begin with a simple thought. Let's, let's start right up front with a key point, and that's this. Personal sin disrupts God's global mission. Okay, so, so personal sin disrupts God's global mission. So let's just unpack that for a second. What, what, what the, the point I want to make, and the, pa- the point the passage is going to make, and the tone and the tenor of everything that we've looked at so far says this, that your actions, your behaviors, and your thoughts have consequences. And the things that you choose to do with your personal life ultimately play out to affect either in the positive or the negative. The global mission that Jesus Christ has given every one of us as Christians, you have an impact. And your sin can absolutely disrupt what God wants to do in your life, and thus what he wants to do in this ministry, and thus what he wants to do in this city, and thus what he wants to do in this region, and thus what he wants to do in the U.S., and thus what he wants to do in North America, and thus what he wants to do in the world. Your personal sin affects that. And so there is a call and a purpose to to be righteous before the living God. The purpose behind using this Exodus illustration is that the church in Corinth must understand that when Christians choose to act or behave selfishly, everyone loses. Everyone loses. When they choose to indulge themselves, when they choose to entertain themselves, when they choose to coddle themselves and appease their lusts, everything is jeopardized. And it is that, it is that tendency in us as Christians that, that makes us Laodicean as a people. It's that tendency in us as a collective, as individuals and as a collective, that makes us the Laodiceans that we are. Let's continue reading, okay? So again, just remind you, we're gonna be talking about Exodus and the story of God calling his people out of Egypt, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. So it says here, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, in other words, don't be oblivious, how that all our fathers, and by fathers, we mean the forefathers in the faith, specifically those uh, believers that walked with Moses, how that our fathers were under the cloud. Okay, so let's talk about this cloud. For those of you who aren't familiar, I think it's important for us to look at this. So we see right here that he's calling, he's calling them, the people in Corinth, to remember the people of Israel and the Exodus and how God delivered them. And then how he guided them in the wilderness in a veiled appearance of a cloud. In fact, it was a a cloud pillar by day and a fire pillar by night Exodus 13:21 says And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and led them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people and so what's happening here is after the nation of Israel has escaped the oppression of the Egyptians and they find themselves in the wilderness. They know that there's a promised land waiting them, but they don't know the way. They don't have a guide. And so they look to God himself, veiled within this this pillar of a cloud to lead them by the day through the desert. It's his very presence that guides them. And the point of Paul reminding them of this is that he's calling the church to recollect how phenomenal this kind of encounter with God would have been. I mean, can, can you imagine that? I mean, there's some days where I sure wish that God would provide me with a cloud pillar because I have, no, I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. I have no direction at all. I feel aimless. And so they, God gave them his presence in a cloud to guide them and lead, and lead them. And this miraculous happening just points, listen to me, to the love that Jesus Christ has for his people. God cares. God cares about their direction. He cares to guide them. He cares to lead them. His love is so good. It's so good to his people. And his love was so good to Israel. And it was so good to the church in Corinth. And it's so good to us. He loves us so much. He goes on. And he says, they were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, so, so then he says, remember how he guided them with the cloud, but also remember how they passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. You guys remember this story? The Egyptians are, are hot on their tail and they come to the Red Sea and it, it would seem as though they were cornered and that death was imminent But God called Moses to lay his staff down in that water and the water parted and the nation passed across on dry ground. Let's look at the story here in Exodus 14, 21 briefly. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea's dry land. And the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were uh, were a wall unto them on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels, that the, 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 they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel. For the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea. And the sea returned to his his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them, but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right and on their left. So here we must observe that Paul is calling us to consider how amazing this experience would have been, how phenomenal this would have been I mean, first the, pill, the pillar of a cloud and the pillar of a fire and, and now the parting of the Red Sea. How amazing and how powerful is our God? How much glory is due his name? But these feats of power, these, these incredible happenings are only because he loves us so. He cares for us so much. How rich and wonderful is his love for his people. Now, what, what, about, what about baptism? Okay, I point, let's, let's do a side quest, shall we? What about baptism? I want to briefly mention that your Bible refers to this as a baptism, specifically a baptism unto Moses. Why? Why does it call it that? Well, because like the believer's baptism that we practice here at the church, when the nation of Israel passed through the water, a line of delineation had been made. Right? Isn't that what's happening when, 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 you know, at the retreat, we, we, we saw several people baptized. We saw the Lowe's baptized. We saw a bunch of people decide to commit themselves in terms of ministry and discipleship and commitment to the Lord. And so because of their salvation, they chose to step out and we baptized them in the creek, right? Is that a river? Was that a river or a creek? Does anybody know? It's a creek, right? People from the country was like, That's, that was a creek. Alright, there's you know the water wasn't rushing hard enough, I guess. So we got out in that cold water and we dipped them in the water. And to picture the beauty of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we lifted them out and we all celebrated. Why? Because there was a line of delineation that those individuals were drawing that day. And they were saying, No, no more, no more of the past only moving forward in faith as a, as a part of this church, as a part of this body. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and I'm committing myself to the work of the ministry. And I want to testify of that. And so in the same way, the Red Sea, it, it pictures for us several things, including this line of delineation. And so I want to pull up uh, some of these pictures here that we see in the story of the Red Sea. So, so let's consider the picture for a moment. Egypt is a picture of the bondage of the world's system and sin. Egypt is almost always in in, in scripture, a picture of sin for us. And so they're escaping the sin of their past. Now Moses is a type of Christ, he's a deliverer. And he's delivering them from Egypt, just like Christ delivers us, us in his graciousness from our sin. Israel is a type of the church, a body, a body of people obeying God, following God. The cloud is a type of the spirit. A guide in our life. The Egyptian army is a picture of death unto death, right? They received judgment that day. When they passed into the water and the water closed in on them, God judged them once and for all. And and in that way, they are a picture of judgment for us. And the sea itself is a picture of death unto life. Why? Because in this baptism unto Moses, they crossed through, they crossed through death and they came out on the other side to life, a new life. And so the Red Sea was the old man. And they passed through that death. And they could look back and say, death, where is your sting? They had victory that day over sin and death, didn't they? And so those are all pictures for us. The things that we should be considering. And so when the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea on dry ground, they were surrounded on all sides by water. They were immersed by the power of imminent death, but passed through in faith to the other side. They were delivered unto life. So the Bible calls this a baptism unto Moses. And it's simply an allusion to the ultimate baptism, the baptism unto Christ, the salvation that we find in Jesus Christ and the goodness of his love towards us. Now, as a side note, there's seven different baptisms in scripture, all of them unique, okay? But six of the baptisms in scripture point to the ultimate baptism and that's the baptism in Jesus Christ through salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. All the other baptisms that we find historically in our faith, both in Judaism and Christianity, all are just a picture, a picture type of the ultimate baptism that we receive in Jesus. And so it's important for us to distinguish between these different baptisms because many Christians struggle to do that. They don't know how to divide the word of God and what they do is they conflate all these different baptisms and it screws with their their doctrine of salvation. Ultimately, it has a corrosive impact on other really critical beliefs that that Christians should have such as faith unto salvation. And so if we get our baptism thing mixed up, we might say to ourselves, oh, well, so you need to be dunked in water in order to be saved. Okay, but that, that when a Christian thinks that, or when a believer thinks that, or when a, a, a sect of Christianity purports pur- pur- that idea, they're actually teaching a heretical teaching because what they've done is they've conflated the different Different types of baptism in Scripture, and if this is of interest to you, there's a class that we offer. We'll be offering it next semester called Sevens, and in that class in LFBI, we talk about the seven baptisms. Okay, so just prepare yourself. You I mean, just prepare yourselves for that. Remember, we talked about seven mysteries early on. That was I was promoting Sevens then, and promoting it now. Just write it down. Okay, so um, we want to avoid we want to avoid heresy, and so when we see this baptism unto Moses. It's ultimately a picture for us as Christians of what God's done in our own lives. Now continue on. Let's get back to verse 3, can we? Got a lot to cover today. Got your thinking caps on? All right. I see some of you. I'm losing you. All right. So let's get back to the mission here. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, And so, remember, that we've remembered the cloud, we've remembered the parting of the sea, and now we're remembering the food and drink that God provided for them. Verse four, and did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, so we know in the Exodus story that, that, that people got real upset because they were thirsty. Passing through the wilderness, gets thirsty, you know, I'm parched, God, where are you? You're gonna leave us out here to die? Where's the water at? And so what God did is he provided a rock that gave forth water. Well, we have a rock that gives forth water too, right? John chapter one teaches us that Jesus Christ is the living word and we know that the word of God is a fount to our souls. And so in this way, Christ is like the rock and he pours forth water into our lives, he provided for them spiritual meat. He he provided them sustenance. And collectively, the nation of Israel, the congregation of over a million people, was provided for through the miraculous gift of manna and water. By the grace of God, as they passed through the desert, they had everything they needed. Why? Why? Why did they have everything they needed? Was God just doing miracles just to prove that he's a miraculous God? No, he loved them. He cared for them. He desired their hearts. And yet, they found a reason to complain and resent God. They found a reason. Despite all of the goodness that God had extended to them, they found a reason to complain and resent him. Verse five, but with many of them, God was not well-pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And so here's Paul's point. Despite all of these miracles and despite the glory of God on display, rather than worshiping and believing in God, they found a way to make it about themselves. They they found a way to make every one of these instances about them. They became lustful. They became desirous for the things that they wanted. And so listen, they wanted a shorter trip, didn't they? They wanted a shorter trip. They wanted an easier route. They wanted better food than the food that was provided to them. They wanted a better leader than what they found in Moses. They were not happy with what God had given them, and they had forgotten his love for them. They'd forgotten it. And so they became selfish and arrogant in their pride. Numbers 14.11 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed unto them? They became selfish and self-centered and complained despite the fact that God had saved them. Here's our next key point. Any believer who loses sight of God's glory and his, and his love ultimately, right? And his love is in danger of glorifying self. Anyone who loses sight of God's power, his authority, and his love for us is absolutely in danger of living a selfish and self-gratifying and self-glorifying life. That's sin. That's sin. When our eyes are misplaced, when we gently slip our hand out of God's grip, we are in the process of becoming an ungrateful people. Despite the fact that God sent his son to die for us. Despite the fact that, God, uh, that Christ willingly gave his life to save us. Despite the fact that he gave us his spirit to comfort us. Despite the fact that he gave us his word to sanctify us. Despite the fact that he gave us a true purpose. Despite the fact that he gave us the church to love us and mobilize us for his purpose despite the fact that he has used us to impact this city time and time again, despite the fact that he feeds us and clothes us and provides us with our daily needs and provisions, we still manage to make all of this life about us. Every interaction becomes about us. Every moment of our day is about us. Every resource and relationship is about us. Every yes or no that we face, we somehow make that about us about our needs, about our passions, about our desires, about what we deserve, and we do that even here in Kaya. We do that right here. And it shouldn't be so. We have the the ability to come here and to serve and to present ourselves as good Christians. But in our heart and our mind is this continual, a continual erosion, a corrosion of thought that I should have it better, that I should be recognized, that I should be promoted. The people don't treat me right. And so we we become quick to offense and we we become quick to ridicule. And the joy that we once had in our salvation and all the things that we remember that were good and the knowledge of Christ's love begins to slip away because we become selfish in our thinking. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. This is the reality as Christians that that we must face. Many of us have taken the liberty and the freedoms that we found in Christ and instead of using it as a catalyst for personal sacrifice and the the preferential treatment of other people, we use it to justify bratty and selfish behavior. And I just want to be honest with you. The last couple months, I've faced a lot of bratty and selfish behavior. And I want to be honest with you. I feel it in my own heart, too. And it becomes a cycle. And we project those feelings and thoughts on one another, and it, and it promotes greater and greater selfishness in our congregation, We don't deserve anything that Christ has done for us. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve any of his goodness towards us. That should draw us to humility, not pride. Yeah. Deuteronomy one thirty four says, and the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, surely, There shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land, which I swear to give unto unto your fathers. God was not willing to bless a people who were so proud and so selfish and so quick to make things about them. He could not bless them. And so he did not give that generation entry into the promised land. He refused to do it. So with this realization, we must be warned. Israel was an example to us of what would happen if we choose to focus on ourselves instead of on Christ's love and the mission that he's put before us. Verse 6, here's the warning. Now these things were our examples, Paul says to the church in Corinth. These things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So Israel is our example. Why? That we should choose not to lust after things the way that they did. These examples of sin in Israel are the exact same types of sin that Paul was seeing in the church in Corinth. And to be honest with you, they're the same sins that we find in Kiah. We are not above this warning. And so we should look at it closely. Verse seven, we have four warnings that he provides us with. Verse seven, the first one is wicked worship wicked worship so Paul says to them look neither be ye idolaters neither be ye idolaters as were some of them as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play okay so now he's drawing back to the story of the nation of Israel he's pulling it into the, the Corinthian reality and we need to likewise pull that into our reality and how does that narrative go? What happened when they went out to, to eat and drink and play? Exodus 32 6, it says, And they rose up early on the morrow. Now, this is, mind you, this is while Moses is going and he's worshiping and he's communing with God. And while he's away, while their leader is away, and his eyes aren't upon them and he can't hold them accountable, they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, go, go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And they've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt." So what we see here is the nation of Israel, despite everything that God had done for them, the food and the guidance and the deliverance, they said to themselves, no, 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 no. We prefer these gods and it's these gods that did all the delivering. It's these gods that provided for us. And in a moment, in their selfishness, because they didn't give things the way that they wanted them, we're quick to forget the love of God and to project that love onto something else. Idolatry produces an obsession with personal amusement. Do you know that? So we say, we say to ourselves, well, we're, we're above that. We would, never, we would never worship a false god the way that they did. And yet you do. And, and, and yet you do. See, there's a strong connection between idolatry and personal amusement and entertainment. And so what we do in our lives, because we're sophisticated, postmodern individuals, we don't worship golden objects. No, we, we worship at whatever makes us feel good. And we're convinced that our idols, that our false gods, they serve us. But the truth is, we are slaves to where we put our attention. We are slaves. We are slaves to the things that we think will bring us amusement and entertainment. We're slaves to those things. And when we lust, we invent idols for our life that are intended to entertain us and justify lustful behavior. There are many people in this room, even right now, you've worked for years at justifying sinful behavior that you're holding on to, that you refuse to call an idol, but it is. And it is affecting your worship and it's affecting your ability to meet with the Lord and it is affecting the mission that God has called you to. If we as believers are willing to trade God and his friendship for pleasure, he's gonna let us. He's gonna let us. But we will never be fruitful and we will never be happy. So there's wicked worship but there's also wicked works. Wicked works. Wicked works. Lust and idolatry, they produce fornication. They, pro- they produce sexual promiscuity, promiscuity. Verse eight, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Numbers 25, one confirms this story. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. These were wicked people, and, and, and the, the nation began to, to go to the, the, the daughters of Moab and, and, and to, to procreate. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And so that procreation, that, that sexual promiscuity turned into to idolatry. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and jump down to verse 9 of chapter 25, and those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. Now, we we recognize, just again, side quest, we recognize that that the passage that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that 23,000 people died, but our passage here in Numbers tells us that 24,000 people died, and so a lot of people who are critical scholars will look at that and say, oh, there's error in your Bible, see, it's not divine, It's not divine. Okay, the problem with that is that that what Paul says is that 23,000 died in a day, in one day. That doesn't mean that that, that 24,000 people couldn't have died over a longer span. And so if a plague came upon a people, 23,000 in one day is a lot, but another thousand could die residually over the next week or month or year. So 24,000 people ultimately died, all right? So don't get it twisted, side quest over The point we need to grasp is that idolatry produces fornication. It does. And fornication produces destruction. It produces destruction in us. It is not okay to call yourself a Christian and to have sex outside of marriage. It is not okay to call yourself a Christian and declare the love of Christ and be addicted to pornography. It's not okay. Now you've gotten away with it, you've gotten away with it. Maybe Christ has just turned his eye away and turned you over to your sin, but listen to me, I'm telling you, it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. It affects your soul. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty. hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Your lustful eyes, your lustful eyes and the things that you want to look upon, listen to me, God reminds us, hell's never full. Cool. Do what you want to do. Hell and destruction, they're never full. If you're asking for judgment, I'm willing to provide it. That's tough. It's tough words, but it's true. And so we, we, have, we, have, we invite wicked worship into our life, and we, we invite wicked works into our life, but we also invite wicked ways. Verse nine, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So some of you may remember this story as well from the Exodus story, right? Now here the word tempted means that they put God to test. They tested God and they placed their demands on him and when they were hungry and thirsty, they tempted God, they tempted him. And this is how it went. Numbers 21:5. And the people spake against God and against Moses, "Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Why have you done that? For there's no bread, and neither is there any, any water, and our souls loathe this light bread. This, this food that you've provided for us is disgusting, and we hate it." And the Lord sent f- <laughs> and the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. But that's how much God hates our selfish behavior and our bratty, fit-throwing behavior. Last night at dinner, Eva knew this was coming. She could see it in my eyes. I looked right at her. Last night at dinner, Eva, you know, Eva spent time making dinner. She made chicken with m- mushroom, some sort of mushroom cream. I'm not going to be able to describe this in a way that sounds culinary delight, like a culinary delight, but it was good. With rice, it's good. It's good. But you know how kids are. Kids don't like mushrooms. Who liked mushrooms when they were a kid? When you're little, Elijah, you're the only one. There. There's a handful of you weirdos <laughs> who liked mushrooms as a kid. So. Clementine sat down, and while everyone is enjoying the the meal, she goes, this is gross. (laughs) Now, Clementine went to bed without dinner that night. because, Because bratty behavior, if it doesn't get dealt with, begets bratty behavior behavior and ultimately destruction. You know if my daughter continued down that path and she behaved that way into her adulthood, what her life would be like. You know what it'd be like if I if I didn't snuff it out in the moment, if I didn't deal with it. I had to deal with it. And so she, her consequence was no dinner. Christ is not above chastising his children. And in this case, he sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Listen, our faithlessness produces ultimatums against God. They, they gave God an ultimatum. They were testing him. They were saying, "What you've done for us is not good enough. Give us more. We're waiting on you. Are you, are you not the God of Israel? Are you, are you not going to provide for us? Because what you've given us is not sufficient. And so faithlessness produces ultimatums against the Lord, which also produces destruction and consequences. And so we've got wicked worship, we've got wicked works, we've got wicked ways, and now we've got wicked words. Verse 10, neither murmur ye as as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now that phrase, destroyed of the destroyer, that's something else. That's cataclysmic description right there. Okay? To be destroyed of the destroyer. But listen, y'all. If you've read Revelation 19, our Christ is a destroyer. He is a destroyer. And he's not afraid of judgment. And so, and so, this reference to the destroyer is the angel of the Lord that passed over Egypt and destroyed the firstborn sons of every home in Egypt. You guys remember the story of the Passover where the, the nation was called before they left Egypt to, to take a sac- the blood of a sacrifice and to put it around the doorposts. So when the angel of the Lord passed over, when when, when the Lord of hosts passed over, it would symbolize the fact that that home needed to be protected. And so every Egyptian home that did not have that sign lost their firstborn son. They were destroyed of the destroyer because, because they were murmurers. The Egyptians were murmurers, murmurers against God. They'd experienced all those plagues, And all that difficulty, and all that judgment, and and, and yet at the end of the day, they were still saying, we will not relent to God. They were murmurers. And and so was the nation of Israel in the wilderness. And guess what? So are we. So are we. We we murmur against the Lord all the time. Anytime he doesn't do exactly what we want him to do. Well, why is it that so-and-so has a boyfriend and I don't? Why is it that so-and-so is dating and I'm not? Why is it that, that nothing works out the way I want it to, God? Why is it that I can't seem to get the job that I want despite the fact that I've applied and I've applied and I've applied? God, why is school so hard for me? Why did you have to make me so dumb? Right? I mean, whatever it, whatever it is that you hold against the Lord and you hold over his head is a murmur against his name. And that murmuring becomes dangerous to us Hebrews eleven twenty eight, 28, through faith he kept, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So God is warning Corinth not to murmur against God the way the Egyptians did. So we must be warned, warned that God won't put up with our murmuring. And to be honest with you, let's just be honest, okay? As your pastor, I see this manifest in a tendency to be easily offended. I, I, I see us as a ministry allowing offense to cause division among brothers and sisters in Christ. I see that sometimes people are prone to argument. You constantly, week after week, are finding yourself in an argument with someone about you, generally the most petty and stupid stuff that if you could just die to yourself and let it go, you probably have the power to forbear. God's probably extended you the grace to forbear most of the stuff that you get upset about. Prone to argument and slow slow to reconcile with people. Slow to make things right, putting things off, pushing things under the rug. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye are supposed to Shine as lights in the world. So there we have wicked words. Now all this wickedness, all this wickedness is the result of allowing selfish thoughts to creep in. Verse eleven says, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition. They're supposed to warn us upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. See, the part, the part, about, the part about what makes our, obses- our, our, our obsessions with sin so disappointing, what makes it so actually just disappointing, just frustrating and disappointing, is that as Christians, we have the power to break those cycles. We have the power to deal with it. So we look at and we we look at the nation of Israel and, the, and we see that they had they had the cloud and they had the pillar of fire and and we see that God brought them through the Red Sea and we see His power and the phenomenon of who He is. And we see him as a miracle worker providing food and sustenance for the people in the desert and the dry places. And we look at that and we say, oh, wow, look at all God did for them. And they still reject him, they still acted like brats. But listen, what has God given you? God has given you his very word. He wrote you a love letter that's way more than they had. He's given you the trajectory for your life. He's given you purpose. He's given you the white line that you can walk upon when you don't know the way. It's better than a pillar. He's given you salvation. And he's baptized you in his Holy Spirit and he's given you the gift of salvation and surety and you can know that you have a promise in the Father that one day you will spend eternity with him. What is better than that? What greater deliverance could we have? Way better than what the nation of Israel ever had. And he's given you a church. And he's given you people that love you and care for you and hold you accountable when no one else would. friends through thick and thin and unconditional love he's provided to you in the congregation of believers that he's provided for you and yet and yet despite all that despite the fact that we've had it better and as God has given us a much greater and more rich blessing and he showed his love for us way more than he could have ever for the nation of Israel it's, it's a much greater gift we still find ourselves murmuring against him and desiring things that he's not given us and demanding things of him. And we take a bratty posture. We become selfish. And we fail to see that he's given us everything we need to overcome. Key point, any believer who heeds God's word Anyone who's willing to look at the goodness of his word and to apply it to their lives and obey it in its simplicity. Any believer who heeds God's word also has the power to overcome. God has given us through his indwe- the indwelling of his spirit and his word the capacity for behavioral change. You don't have to be a slave to your selfishness, you don't have to be a slave to your addiction. You don't have to live in light of the old man. He's given you power to overcome. Romans 8, 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But, but if you have the spirit in you through Christ, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. He's made you righteous. He's making you righteous. Submit and surrender to that. Ephesians 4.22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Listen. For, for many of us in this room, and I, like, like, I get it, this is a very sober and, and tough message, and I'm, I'm gonna warn you in advance, this is part one. So, so this is a, there's a chapter worth of this. Look, I didn't write it, okay? God wrote this. I didn't write it. I'm just presenting it to you. But, but here's the deal. There's many of us in this room, the reason that we're still immature And the reason that our sin keeps showing itself and rearing its ugly head is because we're selfish people. And instead of seeing the goodness and the blessing and the miracle that God has put over our life and his love for us, we focus the majority of our time and energy alone walking around looking at all the ways in which God has not given us the things that we want. And I'm warning you, Christian, and the warning of Scripture is this, that selfish behavior does produce sin, and sin produces destruction. And today, today is the day that we need to repent of our selfish behavior, and we need to become accountable to other believers and accountable to the Lord to live and think in a way that's honoring and glorifying to him, not to self. Take your eyes off of you and begin to think on his goodness and seek him, seek him, that he might bless us and make us a people, Kaya, Midtown Baptist Temple, a people that he can continue to bless moving forward all that he's richly done for us, all the things, look look around the room and all that God's done in just the last couple of years, the souls that have been saved, the people discipled, the lives changed, the addictions broken, the new family that people have. It's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Selfishness is an abuse and an offense to God and it can cause us to throw all of it away. We can waste it. We can waste it upon ourselves. So if you know in your heart today that there's some sort of selfish thought or behavior that you've been indulging, lay that before the Lord this morning. Give that to God and trust him to give you a repentant heart. I wanna invite the worship team up and we'll pray. Counselors will be available to you. And so as as the service concludes and we start worshiping, if you know you need to pray with someone, grab somebody or grab a hold of your friend and bow down right there where you're at. And, and, and repent before the Lord of the selfish thoughts that you've been holding on to. Can we do that? We, we want God's blessing in our life. We want to be useful to his name. We want to honor him with our lives. Let's let, go, let's let go of our bratty behavior. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Our Lord, we thank you. Uh, there's, there's so much and so much complicated information in a passage like this. And there's so much that we certainly missed. And yet, Lord, I know that your spirit was with us, and I pray that, that it would convict us and, and that your spirit would provoke us. And that, that you would make a people that could be honoring to your name, a people that you could bless. And so, God, I, I know that there's so many people here that want to, to be right before you and want to, to do what's right, and they want to be used and they want to grow in their faith, but but they can't do that and hold on to the selfishness that they've been holding on to. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and show us how to let go of those things, lay them at your feet, to lay it down, lay it all down. Lord, cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, and help us to put on the new man that we might move forward in victory. And if people are struggling with addictions, Lord, make them to be accountable. If people are struggling with with any sort of thing that would be an offense to you, Lord, I pray today is the day to deal with sin. And so Lord, help us to do that Help us to be right with you because you're a God that deserves it. You've loved us so much. Even when we refuse to love you, you've loved us and you've stayed with us and you've walked with us. God, help us to love you in return and to sacrifice gladly anything we need to to be right with you. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at C-A-Y-A dot